For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is the creepiest disappearance case that you know about? Lars Mittank, 28-year-old from Germany goes on a vacation with some friends to the Golden Sands in Varna, Bulgaria, in June-July 2014. During the trip he eats very little but seems otherwise to be behaving normally. One night, he gets into a scuffle with some other tourists over disagreements relating to soccer football teams Mittank being a fan of Werder Bremen, the others being fans of Bayern München. He suffers a ruptured eardrum and is advised not to fly as a result of his injury. At his insistence, his friends fly home without him and Lars is taken to a hostel in a sketchier part of Varna. During the course of the evening, he telephones his mother, claiming that something is not right in the hotel. He asks her to cancel his credit cards and leaves the facility, claiming he is being followed by a group of men. He spends the night hiding and his mother books him a ticket home to Germany. Early in the morning. He hails a taxi and rides to the Varna airport to catch his flight home, hoping to be cleared to fly. He visits the airport physician with his luggage in tow, spending about 45 minutes there. At some point, a uniformed airport worker comes in, which seems to cause Lars to panic. He murmurs something to the doctor and sprints out of the airport, leaving his luggage behind. Once outside, he jogs to a fence topped with barbed wire at the edge of the airport, climbs over it, runs through a meadow and disappears into the woods. He has never been found. Annie Laurie Heeren, a 73-year-old philanthropist and wife of multimillionaire Robert Heeren, of Jackson, Mississippi, disappears one afternoon in 1988 shortly after holding a weekly bridge game with friends. Some traces of blood are found on the door and neighbors report seeing a strange-looking van in the neighborhood that day. Shortly thereafter, Robert Heeren receives a ransom note demanding that he make right legal disputes with a number of subsidiaries of the company School Pictures, which Heeren had taken over. After making a public appeal for the safe return of his wife, Heeren receives a note that bears Annie Laurie's signature and which reads, Bob, if you do not do what these people want you to do, they are going to seal me up in the cellar of this house with only a few jugs of water. Please save me, Annie Laurie. Heeren sends checks totaling one million to the various subsidiaries of school pictures named in the original ransom note, but Annie Laurie is not returned though several of the recipients return the money. The next year, Newton Alfred Wynn, who had held a franchise that was sued by Robert Heeren, is arrested after the letter bearing Annie Laurie's signature is traced to him. He had had an associate fly to Atlanta from Florida in order to mail the letter on his behalf. Though Wynn was charged with and convicted of conspiracy to commit kidnapping, authorities could never prove that he had actually taken Annie Laurie. Wynn was released from prison in 2006 and died a few years ago. Annie Laurie herein has never been found. Naked girl goes missing on mushrooms outside of Portland, or, Link. So my partner has a friend whose house we would go to two three times a week. Her daughters were in high school and usually had small parties with their friends on the weekends. One time there was this new girl the girl in the mentioned above she was on mushrooms and insisted on sharing them with everyone. 
I took a couple caps, but ended up going to bed soon after. I woke up in the middle of the night to her and the other girls naked, stargazing in the backyard. I personally was like whoa, okay spiritual quest going on out there. I am just gonna go back to bed, did not see her again. She went camping with some friends two weeks later between Mount Street Helens and Mount Adams. She took mushrooms again, and went to find herself and left the camp with no clothes, no shoes, no nothing. They searched and searched, and dogs found some of her foot tracks going down a ravine. The scent and tracks stopped at a road in the middle of nowhere and they weren't ever able to find out what happened to her. Mysterious, and even more so that I had just met her for the first time a couple weeks prior. She had mentioned over and over the night I met her that she needed to venture through the wild to find her true destiny. I hope she did. Not a missing person case but nobody to this day knows who killed her. In Ancline, 26 Evansville. January 18, 1973, Evansville 40 years after 26-year-old college teacher Anne Klein was stabbed to death in a basement alcove of the old courthouse. Her case file of thousands of pages soon could go to a place it has never been the Vanderburg County Prosecutor's Office. Evansville Police Department Detective Tony Mayhew has said for several years that he's certain who killed Klein. He has been building the case since receiving an anonymous telephone call nearly eight years ago from someone described as an ex-friend of the suspect. The subsequent investigation has taken Mayhew to Texas twice and left him hopeful that one of Evansville's oldest open homicide investigations still could be solved, despite the passage of so much time. In Italy there is the mystery surrounding Emanuela Orlandi's disappearance. She was a young girl who randomly disappeared near her house and was never found. Despite many reports of her being seen in different places, it is especially creepy if you consider that her father worked for the Vatican and the family resided in the Vatican City. But all Secret Service involvement was handled by the Vatican and kept undercover. Moreover, she was linked to a series of different political happenings, most notably either an involvement of the Vatican with the Mafia and her father or as a pawn to free Mehmet Ali Ka, the Turkish man who shot Pope John Paul II. Her remains were never found and people keep coming up with anonymous testimonies which have never yielded a result. Link, Landy. I was working at Holloman AFB in New Mexico. I was working security forces. Our supervisor TSGT drove me and another airman to a vault out in rural New Mexico still on Afland. They said guard this door and shoot anything that comes out. Weird, right? I do my shift, and two people relieve us. I know both of them from the dorms. The next day, I go out to relieve them. No one is there. And the vault has door is not locked it locks from the outside. I call my supervisor. Multiple vehicles show up. I get pulled into a room. And get out briefed. In short, I am not allowed to tell the location or the equipment in, around, the vault, what time date, act, what was in the bunker, what happened to my wingman, he never came back to the dorms, I never saw him again, the squadron commander 05 never brought it up during any briefs, usually when people cross-trained transferred, it was made public and we had going away parties, if any airman died, we had an honor guard funeral, nothing for these two that went missing. TLDR shady US military being the shady. Military does some shady shit. I was in Afghanistan in 2012. I was on stag guard during the day. I think it was literally midday. It was quiet and we hadn't had any dramas, which was a bit odd as we usually get. 
a few pot shots at least once a day. Anyway, I was bored as duck and only half watching my arcs when I see a big truck off in the distance which was very odd for where we were. This truck pulls up at a compound owned by a family sympathetic to NATO. They did feed us info on Taliban, ids, weapons caches etc. Out jumped like 12 dudes, all in modern military kit, helmets, armor, shiny weapons etc. Go into the compound. Shoot the whole place up and leave. I sent the info up on the net when I first saw the truck. Then again when I saw the people were in uniform I asked if there was a NATO or Afghan op happening. No one knew anything or who they were. We were told not to pursue them but we did crash out to check the compound. All we found was 5 bodies, all shot to shit. To this day I have no idea who they were. Definitely weren't e Taliban. Definitely weren't e NATO. But we had no qualms rocking, up and doing that less than a kilometer from a NATO PB, weird shit. I have many, but I will pick three and my reasons why they are creepy. Solder children 5 kids go missing after a house fire. The fire department was 2 miles away and was 7 hours late to the fire, and a few months before. A life insurance salesman threatened to burn the house. A witness saw the kids riding in a car passing the fire, and a woman gave them breakfast at a tourist stop the next morning. A photo of a man resembling one of the kids was mailed to the family two decades after the fire. Amy Bradley goes missing during a family cruise vacation, and was obviously sold into sex trafficking due to witness reports and a photo that was emailed to the family. Antoinette Cadito a little girl opens her bedroom door to a man claiming to be her uncle, and abducted her. A few years later, she is spotted at a restaurant, and leaves a note for the waitress saying who she is and to call the cops. There is a 911 recording of her saying who she is, and a man in the back is heard screaming who said you can use the phone, she screamed, and the call went dead. Unfortunately, the call wasn't long enough to trace where it came from. Dwan Sims, he was 4 years old when he allegedly walked into Livonia, Mies Wonderland Mall on December 11, 1994 with his mom, and did not walk out again least twice not with her. Police claim that his mother, Dwana Harris, arrived at the mall alone that day and is therefore lying about what happened to her sons. To this day, Dwan has never been found and no one has been charged with anything relating to his disappearance. The mall is long gone replaced by a freestanding Walmart and Target store. I did like to believe that Livonia P.D. gave this case their best efforts, but as a lifelong Livonian, I have seen the contempt shown towards what are euphemistically called out-of-towners from Detroit. I cannot be sure our suburban police department would have taken the disappearance of a city dweller as seriously as the case warranted. As an ex-retail security guard, I have seen firsthand how difficult it can be to find a single person in security footage on a busy day and I was working with digital footage with all the bells and whistles in 1994. It would have been a VHS tape. I do not find the police's claims to have not seen him on the cameras as damning as they do. I do remember freaking my mom out. We went to that mall about once a week and I was about the same age as Dwan. The Disappearance of the Beaumont Children Link Jane, Arna and Grant Beaumont 9, 7 and 4 respectively went to the beach unsupervised on Australia Day 1966 and never returned. They took a 5-minute bus ride to the beach at 10 a.m. and were expected to return at 2 p.m. 
Their mum gave them a couple of shillings to pay for their bus fare and buy some lunch. Several witnesses say they saw the children talking and playing with a tall blonde man approximately in his mid-thirties. They went to a bakery near the beach and purchased some pasties and a meat pie which they paid for with a one note. This was notable to the shopkeeper because, at the time, one was a significant sum of money for a child to be carrying. She also knew the children and said they had never bought a meat pie before. A postman said he saw the children walking along the roads away from the beach at 2 p.m. laughing and chatting but it is believed he may have been mistaken about the time of the sighting. The creepy part is that no further sightings have been made, no belongings, clothing or shoes have been found, no traces of the children and no bodies have ever been found. How does someone kidnap three children at once, sparking the largest manhunt in Australian history? And no one sees a thing. It has been over 51 years and there is still no trace of the children. Their parents are still alive and have never gotten closure. Hopefully one day this case will be solved. The disappearance of Crystal Rogers, 35-year-old mother of five mysteriously went missing on July 4th weekend 2015. Her car was later found abandoned on the Bluegrass Parkway in Bardstown, Kentucky, with a flat tire, her purse, phone, keys and diaper bag still inside. Bardstown, Kentucky has experienced multiple unsolved cases in recent years, including the strange murder of local police officer Jason Ellis in May of 2013 which is an entirely different unsolved mystery itself and the murder of a mother and daughter inside their home in 2014. Many odd things have happened since Crystal Rogers' disappearance. Within a day or so her boyfriend, Brooks Hogg, who was the last person to see her, was identified as a suspect after his story included large gaps and inconclusive statements. He admitted to burning a fire the same night she disappeared and was even seen leaving the premises with Crystal around midnight. Hogg claims that when he awoke the following morning she had gone missing. Oddly enough, his brother, a police officer, was fired for interfering in the investigation around the same time after being accused of warning his brother that detectives were planning to question him and later told him not to talk to police. Authorities later said that he also failed a polygraph test in relation to Crystal's whereabouts. Furthermore, in November of 2016 Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard, who was a strong advocate to her search party, was mysteriously shot and killed while hunting. His wife claimed, shortly afterwards that prior to his death, he believed he was being followed and had a surveillance camera rolling in his truck, which police took as evidence. The Ballard family recently caught a woman, who was later found to have a relationship with Hoag, destroying signs that had been placed around town asking for help in Crystal's case. She was arrested and sentenced to 60 days in jail. While Brooks Hoke was named the lead suspect in Crystal's disappearance, he was never charged. He now believes there is a 100 connection between Ballard's death and Crystal's disappearance. Edit, I found that a documentary is in the works about all of the mysterious things taking over Bardstown. Looks to be airing in summer of 2018. Documentary to highlight Bardstown's unsolved crimes link. That has got to be link. In the 1960s and 70s construction was booming in Sydney. 
Hundred-year-old sandstone and cast-iron edifices were being pushed over to make room for pebble-crete monstrosities at an alarming rate. Enter Juanita Nielsen, already a wealthy heiress who could have ignored the chaos by living out her comfortable life inside. She instead went out and actively campaigned to save historic buildings in and around Sydney. She printed newsletters, organized rallies and quickly became a figurehead for the preservation movement. And then one day she was gone. The most likely scenario was that she was kidnapped by a developer and her remains concreted into the foundations of one of the buildings she was protesting against. A local kid by the name Thomas Brown disappeared in Canadian, Texas. Brown was last seen on Wednesday evening November 23, 2016 at 11.40 p.m. at a gas station inside the town of Canadian. Texas. He was wearing a black pullover with the Oklahoma State University logo displayed on the right upper chest area as well as jeans and tennis shoes. Tom was a former football player for his high school and is the student class president of Canadian High School. Investigators have possibly determined that Brown may have either been taken against his will or agreed to travel with another party and may possibly be in danger. Further investigators believe that Tom could have left on his own however in the days since his disappearance he has made no effort to contact family. He has not used any money in any of his accounts. He has not used any of his social media accounts, credit cards or his cell phone or email. Tom S. Red Dodge SUV was found on November 24, 2016 early in the morning by searchers in a remote section of the suburb area of Canadian. Texas. Upon inspect of the SUV it was determined that Tom S. Wallet, keys, cell phone and school computer were missing. Video from a building in the area that the SUV was found shows it arrived in the remote area at 6.50 a.m. on November 24, 2016 however, the person driving could not be identified. Investigators believe Tom was in the parking lot of the Canadian high school football field in the area of 12.03 a.m. This is a highly traveled area for students that attend Canadian high school. On the official Facebook page Help Find Tom Brown, they stated that someone had hacked into his Facebook account. I really hope this young man in found and safely returned to his family. This young man went missing just a few weeks ago and this is basically my neighborhood. Link. He was last seen behaving erratically at 5.55 in the morning. On CCTV footage, he was absolutely poorly dressed for the cold weather too. Secondly, 6 a.m. here in Scotland is pitch black. The sun comes up usually half past 7 a.m. I remember the flyers going up less than 24 hours after he was last seen, and thinking in that time frame it was totally possible to see him around the area in who knows what sort of state. I have seen the police searching the area, walking down my street with long pole sticks, poking at all the bushes. There is a canal, where the water is deep and pitch black, and lots of fall hazards and thick foliage everywhere. Plenty of nooks and crannies for a grown adult to have an accident and not be found. I shudder to think of the day I walk by a large bush and see a leg sticking out, because of his missing person's status. I do not walk on the canal path at night anymore fearing of running into trouble. The case of Stevie Bates, young girl involved with the Occupy Wall Street movement who decided to go on a cross-country trip with people she barely knew got cold feet down south and called her mother to tell her she was coming home, took a greyhound back to NYC, 
Hair's where it gets weird. Calls her mother from Philly, which is only 90 miles from NYC. Tells her everything is fine. When she gets back to the city she's going to be visiting her boyfriend and then coming home. Her mother lived in Yonkers, north of NYC. She is extremely familiar with the city. Having gone to college and living on the streets for a period of time, she arrived at the Port Authority bus terminal in Manhattan and is caught on security camera looking dazed and lost. She was never seen again. Boyfriend has a solid alibi, just literally disappeared into thin air. My great aunt Diane Shannon Link. I was in middle school when this happened, and we weren't particularly close with that part of my family anymore when all of this shit went down they were the black sheep branch on my mom's side of the family. Diane and my great uncle George were going through a nasty divorce, and Diane had moved in with a friend who also happened to be the woman that my uncle had cheated on her with. Instigating the divorce, Diane just disappeared one afternoon poof. She left behind her two sons, all of her medication, and approximately 100. Oh, oh, oh the consensus among our family was that either, one my uncle had probably killed her and buried her somewhere out on their 20 acres of land, but the county went over everything with a fine tooth comb cadaver dogs and found nothing, or, two Diane went back to her family in Canada. However, I am pretty sure that the local police department checked into the possibility and ruled it out. Regardless, my uncle always claimed innocence in the matter. He died about 10 years ago, so any answers we may have gleaned from him went to the grave with him. His eldest son my cousin has since committed suicide, and nobody has had contact with his youngest son in a decade. Sad all around, but now that I am older, I would love to have some answers. Some local ones you guys might not know about, Kurt Newton, Link. I remember my dad telling me about this when we would go camping there. His siblings and my grandparents were there the weekend before. I have been to the exact spot he was last seen it's a creepy feeling. There was another one from the next town over but I cannot seem to find anything on it. It was early 1990s and a girl was babysitting a neighbor's kids. She was found dead or went missing I cannot really remember. There was a person who was convicted who to this day says he is innocent. There was another man that was picked up by my great uncle as he was walking down the road near the house the murder happened. He had blood on his jacket and my uncle told him to leave his truck. My uncle gave the police his statement about the guy he picked up but died of cancer before the case went to trial so it was dismissed as hearsay. That guy is still out there in our community maybe. Makes me think sometime when I drive down that stretch of road. Edit update talk to my mom her name was Sarah Cherry a 12 year old girl who was babysitting a 1 year old in July of 1988. Dennis Decane was arrested for it and is still in jail. She was found miles from the house. The door was ajar when the parents came home and the 1 year old was in the crib. Sarah's shoes were still in the house. There is a book about it called Human Sacrifice by Jim Moore. Not really a missing person like I originally thought but still interesting. Edit 2 two-year-old Le Reynolds went missing from her father's house filled with her family members one night. Her blood was found at the bottom of the basement stairs but she has still never been found. This was 2013. Edit 3 last one I think. There was a 60-year-old woman who was walking the Appalachian Trail and disappeared. Her body was found a year later. In an area they had already searched, in her tent. She had starved to death a half mile from the trail. There was an episode of Northwood's Law about it. Went camping by Vanderhoof. 
BC, and learned about Madison Scott, close to the Highway of Tears so it could be linked to the many disappearances that happened along that stretch. From the website, Friday May 27, 2011, Madison and a female friend went out to Hogsback Lake for a party with the intention of camping overnight. It appears there were around 46 people at the party Friday night, mostly 18 to 25 years old, and a few older partiers up to 40 years old. Almost all are from the Vanderhoof area. Madison's friend who was going to stay with her left the party after midnight 2.30, with a young man who lives close by in the Hogsback Lake area. Either Madison was left to camp by herself or left with someone else, though information to date says she was left there by herself. The time Madison was last seen has been reported as 2.45 to 3 a.m. Hogsback Lake is located about 24, 5 kilometers southeast from Vanderhoof down the Blackwater Road. See Google Map. It is a forestry campsite with three camping areas, a swimming area and dock. The lake is around one kilometer long and is surrounded by forest, with several trails leaving the campsite including a portion of the Telegraph Trail. Saturday, May 28, 2011, a couple of the partiers were back at Hogsback campsite the next day cleaning up 10 a.m. and saw her tent still standing and her truck but they did not check if she was in the tent. There was no other tents or campers there. There was a large party of around 150 people at the Hogsback campsite on Saturday night, and no one reports seeing Madison. Madison's parents were concerned as they had not heard from their daughter, but she is a responsible 20-year-old so they did not report her missing. Sunday May 29, 2011, with no word from Madison and her not answering her cell phone Madison's parents went to the Hogsback Lake campsite to look for her. They found her truck and her now flattened tent. Her purse was in the truck, but no sign of her and her cell phone. The police were called and the official search and rescue effort began. The RCMP and search and rescue teams from Vanderhoof, Prince George, Burns Lake and Fort Street. James directed additional volunteer searchers. Grid searches of the area starting from the campsite began, with helicopter searches, and the lake was searched by boat and side searching sonar. Monday May 3, 2011, the official search and rescue team with additional volunteers continued grid searching the area around Hogsback Lake. More helicopter searching was done. They thoroughly covered the whole area around the campsite and lake and did not see any sign of anyone leaving the area on foot or ATV on any of the trails or through the woods. Because of this it was concluded Madison had left the area by vehicle on the road, and the official ground search was called off. Anything involving kids disappearing late at night from their homes are the worst. Eloise Willage Link Eloise Anella Willage was an eight-year-old girl who was abducted from her home in Bumaries, Victoria, Australia, on January 12, 1976. Willage's four-year-old brother raised the alarm when he noticed she was not in her room at 7.30 a.m. He later told police that he had heard robbers who had kidnapped his sister but was too scared to say anything because he thought they would take him too. There was no sign of a struggle. He described hearing crackling noises that police believed to be consistent with steps on the seagrass floor covering of Willage's bedroom. Police believed that Willage was lured from her bed by someone whom she knew and trusted, and had simply left the house via the front door, which had been left unlocked. Another possibility was that she may have been abducted by a prowler known to be in the area at the time. 
a dark green car speeding down Scott Street at 2 a.m., was reported by a neighbor. Another neighbor reported seeing a green Holden station wagon she did not recognize parked near the Woolage's house. Around midnight, and Sam, another neighbor, reported having seen a young man walking down the fence line of the Woolage home, making her feel so uneasy that she crossed the street in avoidance. Around the same time, Molly Saltz, a neighbor from further down the street, saw a young man jump the fence into the Woolage property after running in front of her car and across the street. At 2 a.m., Daphne Owen Smith heard a child s cry and a car door slam and same reported also hearing this at the same time. Bark from a tree outside Woolage's window was found on her bedroom floor. A small hole had been cut in the fly screen of her window, but forensic tests revealed that it had been cut from the inside. Police believed the hole was too small to have been used by the abductor, and scientific evidence found it unlikely that Woolage was taken through her open bedroom window. Usha Degree Link, E. In the early morning hours of February 14, 2000 for reasons unknown, she packed her book bag, left her family home north of the city and began walking along nearby North Carolina Highway 18 despite heavy rain and wind. Several passing motorists saw her when one turned around at a point one, three miles to, one kilometer from her home and began to approach her. She left the roadside and ran into a wooded area. In the morning, her parents discovered her absence. No one has seen her since. Around 8 p.m. that night, both children went to bed in the room they shared. Almost an hour later, the power went out in the neighborhood after a nearby car accident. It was restored shortly after Harold returned from work. Around 12.30 a.m., at that time he checked on his children and saw both of them asleep in their beds. He checked again shortly before he went to bed at 2.30 a.m. on February 14th, and again saw them both. Shortly afterwards, O'Brien recalls hearing Asha's bed squeak. He did not further rouse himself as he assumed she was merely changing positions in her sleep. Apparently around this time, Asha got out of bed, taking a book bag she had previously packed with several sets of clothes and personal items, and left the house. Between 3.45 and 4.15 a.m., two drivers saw her walking south along Highway 18 wearing a long-sleeved white t-shirt and white pants, just north of its junction with Highway 180. They reported this to police after seeing a TV report about her disappearance. One witness reported seeing her at about 4 a.m. and said that he turned his car around because he thought it was strange such. A small child would be out by herself at that hour. He circled three times and saw Degree run into the woods by the roadside and disappear. It was a rainy night and the witness said there was a storm raging when he saw her. Aquila awoke at 5.45 a.m. to get the children ready for school. On the morning of February 14th, an important day since it was not only Valentine's Day but the degree's wedding anniversary. This involved drawing a bath for them as they had not been able to take one the night before due to the power outage. When she opened the children's room to wake them up before their 6.30 alarm and call them to the bath, O'Brien was in his bed but Asha was not, and Aquila was unable to find her in the house, nor in the family cars. She told Harold she could not find their daughter. He suggested, Asha might have gone over to his mother's house across the street, but when Aquila called there her sister-in-law said Asha was not there. That's when I went into panic mode. I heard a car next door, 
I put shoes on and ran outside. Aquila called her mother, who told her to call the police. Elm Guesthouse is a notorious high-end brothel in the UK during the 80s. The clients there were celebrities and politicians. It had your usual adult sex workers but also it is rumored to be where the Westminster pedophile ring abused children. It is alleged to be involved in the disappearance of 8-year-old Vishal whose body was later found with the lower half of his body missing. It is also claimed they took children from local care homes so if they were murdered it could be been written off as runaways or no one would notice them missing. Most of the people named as abusers are dead now. The Metropolitan Police announced last week that they were investigating possible murders linked to the Elm Guest House in Barnes, southwest London. The new inquiry began when an alleged victim came forward claiming to have witnessed three boys being killed, including one allegedly strangled by a conservative MP during a depraved sex game. He claimed that high-profile pedophiles abused children at locations in London in the 1970s and 1980s. Mr. Maritra's son Vishal was abducted as he walked home to Putney after watching the Prince of Wales and Diana Spencer ride to their wedding in a carriage on July 29, 1981. He had gone ahead of other family members for the last few hundred yards. He was last seen less than a mile from the guest house. Mr. Maritra claims he received an anonymous call from a male prostitute in the months following. A man he guessed to be in his 20s told him Vishal may have been abducted by highly placed pedophiles operating from the Elm guest house. Mr. Maritra said, he told the Telegraph I was contacted by a young man who seemed to be in his 20s. He told me he believed Vishal may have been taken by pedophiles in the Elm Guest House near Barnes Common. He said there were very highly placed people there. He talked about judges and politicians who were abusing little boys. Mr. Maritra, a solicitor who was a GAP at Wimbledon Magistrates Court until retiring in 2006, claims the man said he had already informed police about activities at the guest house, but had received no response. He added I recorded the whole 15-minute conversation and took it to police, but instead of investigating it, they just poo-pooed it and I never heard anything about the tape again. The whole thing went cold. At that time I trusted the police, but when nothing happened, I became confused and concerned. Now it is clear to me that there has been a huge cover-up. There is no doubt in my mind. In February 1982, part of Vishal's skeleton was found in Woodland in West Sussex. There was no trace of his legs, pelvis or lower spine, nor of his outer clothes, his sleeveless vest or his Superman underpants. Link. Very late here but some of the weirdest I have heard of occurred in an area called the Bennington Triangle, which centers around Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont. There have been five confirmed disappearances in the area all of which is are pretty mysterious. In most cases the missing person had just been seen by someone and seemed to vanish into thin air. Of the five missing people only one was ever found at least her remains. The creepiest of the disappearances to me is Frida Langer. She was an experienced hiker and familiar with the area. She and her cousin had decided to go for a hike. Not far from their campsite her cousin slipped and fell into a stream, soaking his clothes. She offered to hike back to camp to get him a dry set of clothes. He obliged, considering she was familiar with the area and they were not far from camp. When she did not return after an hour he started to hike back to camp. 
He did not see any trace of her along the way and when he arrived back at camp no one in the group had seen her return. The area was searched extensively over the next two weeks but turned up nothing. The next year her body was found out in an open clearing and in an area that had been searched a year prior. The body was decomposed too much for a cause of death to be determined. If you're interested in hearing a more detailed telling of the other disappearances the podcast Lord does a fantastic episode about it called The Red Coats. The Valandich Disappearance Man goes on flight see some crazy shit asks air traffic control what it is, then gone, no remains found. Extremely secretive investigation occurred. Valandich radioed Melbourne Flight Service at 7.06 p.m. to report an unidentified aircraft was following him at 4, 500 feet 1, 400 meters and was told there was no known traffic at that level. Valandich said he could see a large unknown aircraft which appeared to be illuminated by four bright landing lights. He was unable to confirm its type but said it had passed about 1.00 feet 300 meters overhead and was moving at high speed. Valandich then reported that the aircraft was approaching him from the east and said the other pilot might be purposely toying with him. Valandich said the aircraft was orbiting above him and that it had a shiny metal surface and a green light on it. Valandich reported that he was experiencing engine problems, asked to identify the aircraft. Valandich radioed, it is not an aircraft when his transmission was interrupted by unidentified noise described as being metallic, scraping sounds before all contact was lost, audio transcript though I think it's a recreation, link. I came to know about an unsolved case from 1965, in Gothenburg, Sweden. The day is July 29, 1965, three robbers stormed and robbed a bank, they were dressed in women's clothing and made off. Before one of the customers wrestled the gun away from one of the robbers and he shot himself in the leg, they had wetsuits underneath and discarded the disguises. Their plan was to swim to a getaway boat but they all were arrested by the police. Later on that same day, 16-year-old KJL Elk Johansson, 22-year-old Gay Carlson, and 21-year-old Jan Olaf Dalsge disappeared after the three intended to take a camping trip. The young men in their car which they used has never been found. It's also worth noting that the three young men were part-time dock workers, who had minor criminal records and carried large amounts of money. 16-year-old KJL Elk became a father before his disappearance. Hmir Lundqvist was an 18-year-old artist who was staying with family in Eskaini County and intended to go to Lyakal because he was bored and wanted to travel. Lundqvist was hitchhiking and passed through Gothenburg when he also disappeared. Speculation led people to believe that either, one the young men were killed by the robbers to ensure silence, two the young men were involved in the robbery and opted to disappear when it went wrong, three they were in tea involved and it coincides what happened that day. Hmir Lundqvist was hiking and it is possible that he was in the car with the young men and they crashed and the car hasn't even found. Two people came forward to say they saw Lundqvist and the claims have not been verified. Even after more than 50 years, nobody knows what happened to the four young men who disappeared. The name of this case is called Dalsjvjlint. I know I am super late to this party but I have never been able to find an active thread for this subject. Several years ago I was visiting my relative's farm with an older cousin, they had a young son, 
Since it was a bit boring they let us take their gator cart out for a ride in the woods under the house. My older cousin was driving and he decided to go up a sharp hill as a shortcut. Turns out the piece of earth he thought was a shale patch turned out to be a patch of very soft mud clay. The gator was hopelessly stuck. We knew we'd be in trouble for that so we spent half an hour trying to get it out. The five-year-old decided he was going to run back up to the house and get his mother to get the tractor to tow us out. He takes off up the hill and we sit to wait. Thirty minutes later he hasn't he come back and no one has come to help us. A few minutes earlier I had heard what sounded like a car engine but figured since there was a highway nearby the wind might be distorting my hearing. We decided to walk up to the house and fess up. We get there and the five-year is not there. No one has seen him. He never spoke to anyone. We search the house, the land. We go down the drive to the small group of homes under the hill the farm was on. No sign of him. Police get called. Search and rescue brought in. Dogs, foot patrols, car patrols, air. They sent a one-man dive team into the ponds in the area. Neighbors on horse did searches. I mentioned the car I did heard. The woods had a small path worn by years of hunters and trucks, state maintenance, and farm vehicles. It had one entrance on the highway, one just past the neighborhood on a residential street. Anyone could use it. I was 10 when this happened. Our older cousin was 13. I am 22 now. We still have not found a trace of the little boy. The cops think someone may have driven down that wooded road and snatched him. Maybe someone was driving and they accidentally hit him and then took the body because they panicked. He never screamed. We did not hear a peep. The woods aren't he big enough that he could have wandered off and succumbed to the elements. He went missing without a trace or a sound yards from us and half an acre from his home. His case has gone cold and three years ago he was declared legally dead at the urging of his parents, both of whom were very ill with cancer. When I was 13 a man called the tippling and gave information as to the whereabouts of the boy's body. Police took a dig team and a dog out, sonar scanning and the dog both pinged that human remains had been there but were not any longer. What was there was a discoloration to the soil that was analyzed and found to be blood. It was a mitochondrial match to his mother. They found one tiny piece of bone along with that, placement in body unknown. It was one trace, not enough to declare death in any declarative fashion. The call was placed from a burner phone and therefore untraceable. It was the only lead we ever got. My theory cousin goes back up the hill where he has to cross that path. Someone either hit him accident or purposely and took his body out of fear to dispose of and avoid criminal charges, or someone came down that road and kidnapped him later killing him. Either way, I believe he died that day or soon after, however, the blood and bone frag found in the ground makes that line of thought a little difficult to back up considering they were able to see it, test it, and match it. Blood exposed to the elements, even buried, eventually disappears. Bone, especially the soft bones of a small child, break down eventually. So the only other theory, he was taken, kept alive, then killed or died, and was buried in the place the dogs went bananas, police support the kept alive, later Dinor was killed theory, out of respect for his siblings and remaining family, and the fact that the case is still technically active, I refrained from using his family name or even my state, for fear that trolls will try to waylay the case, I bet they do not even investigate anymore, I cannot even remember what he looks like anymore, but his name was Michael, and he lived. Stephen Clark Link, he and a friend, Christopher W. 
Cushway, had spent the previous night drinking on the west side of the city and decided to stop by a party store across the river to buy more liquor. On the way, they suffered a flat tire after hitting a curb. Cushway pulled over and parked his car in a lot near Madison Avenue. He and Clark continued to the party store, bought some liquor and were walking toward Vets Bridge, intending to cross it on foot and head back to Cushway's house. When Clark wandered down an alley, Cushway told police, Cushway said he figured Clark had to urinate, so he kept walking to his house. When he woke the next morning, Clark had not arrived. Even after opening up the case several times afterward, still no conclusion. Also where TF is Jimmy Hoffa link. Levi Frady in Ga child abduction is called Levi's call after him. In the 90s, the boy is riding his bike from a friend's house to his own home. It is not far and it's a local road he knows well. Somewhere between his house and his friends, he goes missing. They found his body in Dawson Forest which is about 20-ish miles away and a place people love to place bodies, but his murderer has never been found. It is creepy to me cause while I do not know the kid, I have several friends who did, and lived on the road he disappeared on for a while, before I knew of his disappearance. Edit also Elisa Lamb. While this case has been discussed many times and there are tons of theories, they are just that theories. If you re curious about the case, just google her, be prepared for the rabbit hole. The last videos of her, are absolutely chilling and also, she was found in the hotel water tank reservoir, on the roof. People staying in the hotel had been bathing in and drinking the water of a decaying woman. They only looked for her and noticed she was missing. When people complained of water pressure and grey water gag, how did Elisa get into the water tank? What was she experiencing in those last videos of her? Was she murdered or was it mental illness that led to her death? I have no insider information obviously and am just going off podcasts I listened to that have done research and interviews. I do not think she was in on his disappearance. I also do not think it had anything to do with a national conspiracy but I am usually skeptical of conspiracy theories in general. I think he went missing pretty much exactly as it is presented and he died shortly after. I think coping with that, especially how she had to do it, without community or law enforcement support basically must have required a lot of coping mechanisms and one of them ended up being she believed in these weird things after so many years. But again, there is some really strange details when it comes to the young people who came forward for those trials against the guy who is not a late night talk show host, really really weird ones. Thanks for watching, don't leave before leaving a like to this video, also hit the subscribe button to support my work, and as always, have a horrific nightmare, my dear. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.